At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're beginning, and we're not going to look at a specific family like we will over the next several weeks. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, and then Noah, and then Abraham and Sarah, and so forth. Um, But this week, we're looking at really the origin of families, really the origin of humanity and human dignity is what we're going to focus on this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold... I have given you every plant yielding its seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What determines something's worth? What determines something's worth? Often we calculate something's value or worth based on a supply-demand dynamic. So if supply is low and demand is high, then the value is high. If supply is high and demand is low, then the value drops. A lot of us are thinking along these lines about the worth of gasoline right now. Due to the political and economic circumstances, the supply of gas is in question, so its value is shooting up. So the supply-demand dynamic is one calculator of worth. Similarly, we often determine worth based on something's rarity. So if there's a collectible or an antique or a jewel that's really, really rare, if it's very unique, if it's hard to find, then we think of that thing as having high value because it's so uniquely rare. Other times, however, something's worth is based not so much on how in demand it is or how rare it is, but on who made it, on where it came from. So for example, violins. I want to show you a couple of violins and compare 
their worth. The first one is kind of a typical-looking violin, and it can be purchased for $51.99 plus shipping from walmart.com. Of course, you can do the order pickup option, then you can drive down to Walmart here and uh, save a little bit on shipping, but the cost is going to be right around 50 bucks. But here is a second violin. And this one, to the untrained eye, looks a whole lot like the other one, but it is not the same, and its worth is not the same. And the difference is where it came from. The difference is who made it. This violin came from Cremona, Italy, and was made by a man named Antonio Stradivarius. And the auction record price for a Stradivarius was in 2011, and it sold for $15 million. $50? $15 million. And the difference is who made it, where it came from. Walmart, Stradivarius. Well, I want to suggest to you that the valuation process of violins is similar to the Bible's teaching on the value of human life. What is the worth of a human? Well, to answer that question, Scripture points to who made humans, where we came from. And we're going to see this in Genesis chapter 1, but there's a remarkable few verses in Psalm 139 where King David describes the intricate, careful stitching together of human life. This is Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. David says to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So David says to God, You formed me, you knitted me, you fearfully, wonderfully made me. Wonderful is your work in piecing me together. So David here is in essence saying that I am a masterpiece. And it's not in some arrogant or self-obsessed sort of way that he says this. No, David says, I praise you, my creator, my maker, for what you have done in making me. My life has value. Human life has immense worth. We are masterpieces because of the master who fashioned our little lives together, even in our mother's womb. So this morning, our point is that God designed humanity for dignity. There is an excellence, there is an inherent nobility to every human life, and we are to be treated as such. You know, with my Walmart violin, I'm not saying that I'm just going to treat it like trash. I'll take care of it, but at the end of the day, it's 50 bucks. Not a huge deal if it breaks or one of the kids drops it. But my Stradivarius, it's going into a vault. It's going into a museum glass case with high security. If it is ever touched, it is getting the white glove treatment by an expert who knows its worth and will treat it with the dignity that it deserves. Well, God designed human life 
with that kind of dignity. We have a built-in inherent nobility or dignity because our creator has Stradivarius-like skill in constructing our lives, even from the earliest stages of development. Psalm 139 says, God formed us in our mother's womb. He designed us with dignity. So as we look closer at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, we're going to see three truths about human dignity. Three truths about human dignity from these verses. First, human beings are dignified supremely. Dignified supremely. What I mean by dignified supremely is that of all the wonderful things that God has created, sun, stars, galaxies, animals, mountains, oceans, of all the things God created, human beings are of supreme value. All of creation has dignity. All of creation is to be treated with respect and honor, but nothing is more precious than human life. Nothing is to be treated with the kind of dignity that humans deserve. Where do we see this in the text? Look at verse 26 again. God says this unique phrase. He says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man after our likeness. Now, there is much to be said about us being made in the image and likeness of God, but let's start off with perhaps the most obvious observation, and that is that of all the things God creates in Genesis chapter 1, nothing else is, to be, is said to be made in the image of God except for us. Humans have the distinct and privileged role of bearing the image and likeness of God. That's one of the reasons why I say we are dignified supremely because we alone bear God's image. Now, what does it mean to be made in God's image and likeness? Well, this is the language of family. This is the language that carries the idea of sonship. For us to be made in God's image means that humans have a unique relationship with God, even a familial relationship with God that the rest of creation does not have. We can know God in ways that fish can't. We can worship God in ways that trees can't. And it's because we are God's image bearers. We know God and we relate with God as his children. I said this about Heidi McClellan's daughters to them some time ago. They walked into church together. And I said to Heidi, man, these girls are made in your image. And that's just a way of saying, these are your daughters. Because they look alike. You can see Heidi in Kelly and Carly. They image her because she is their mama. She made them. And so it is for every human being. We are the image of God. We are made in his likeness. He is our father. He is the author of our lives in a unique way. 
over and against the rest of creation. Finally, I'll mention that we are supremely dignified is that we are created last. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and the six creation days, then you notice that we are created on day six. Humanity is the final piece in the tapestry of creation. Now, why is this? Why are we made last? Well, listen to the comments on this point from one biblical scholar. His name is John Calvin. And he writes this, commenting on these verses. He says, quote, It is true that God would have created Adam first, but God reserved Adam for last. Why so? Before Adam was born, God wanted to provide him with what he needed, just as a father does not wait until his child has been born, but when the term approaches and his wife is to give birth, he will buy everything necessary for caring for it. Thus, God did not wait for man to be created to give him food and clothing, but he first filled the earth with good things and riches for everything, as we have said, everything is for man's use. And that is even more clearly expressed here. Now, Calvin is writing 500 years ago, and his words are translated from French, so it may be a little hard to follow, but you can probably tell what he's saying. What Calvin is doing is likening the situation in Genesis chapter 1 with a father whose wife is expecting. And what is one of the main jobs a daddy has when baby is on the way? He's got to get the nursery ready. He's got to get the new baby's room created. So he pieces together the crib. He paints the walls. He hangs some pictures. He constructs the changing table. He hangs the little spinny thing that goes over the baby's bed. Whatever that's called, I can't remember, but we had them. He brings all these things together to create this space so that it will all be ready for their new child. That, Calvin says, is exactly what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. God creates this amazing landscape. God creates this beautiful canvas, this wonderful space that we call creation. And then when it's all ready, when every piece is in place, he creates man, his image bearer, his children. And he gives them this place to live, to grow, to experience life. So creation was made for man. And in this way, we see that man is supremely dignified over the rest of creation because creation was made for him. In the same way that when I made my children's nursery bedrooms, I took great care painting and building and cleaning and getting everything ready under the direct orders of my wife. But at the end of the day, I care infinitely more about my children then I do the room that I created for them. My children have infinite more value than the home we have built for them. And so it is with human life compared to the rest of creation. God made it for us. We are supremely dignified. God's image bearers uniquely made in his likeness. Creation made just for us. So should we care about animal treatment? Absolutely. Do we care about taking care of the environment? No question that we should. 
all of creation should be treated with dignity. At the same time, we must affirm that there is a unique worth that human life has, a supreme dignity in contrast with the rest of creation. And this is distinct from the worldview of naturalistic evolution. Naturalistic evolution holds that all matter, all energy, randomly, purposelessly appeared. And eventually, through the process of natural selection, living creatures emerged and developed from some original organic matter. And within this narrative, there is no inherent difference. There is no distinction in value between seaweed and human life. In this worldview, human value is entirely subjective. Your value is based on what you assign to yourself or what other people assign to yourself. You may decide that trees are worth more than human life. You may decide that monkeys are worth more than human life because there's no difference. There's no standard. We all emerge from the same original ooze. So what's the difference? But the scriptures here are clear. There is a difference. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God. Because we relate with God in a distinct and intimate way. We are of supreme value. And we are to be treated and treat one another with the value that we deserve. The dignity we deserve. So, we are dignified supremely. And the second thing we see is that we are dignified equally. We are dignified equally. So in verse 26, we hear that first mention that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And then in verse 27, it repeats that claim, but he also adds to it. Listen to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So here again, we see that we are made in God's image, both male and female. Made in God's image. That's why I say that we are equally dignified. The life of a woman is of equal value to the life of a man because they are equally made in the image and likeness of God. Now, this was a radical claim to make in the ancient world. For many cultures in the ancient world, it was a given. It was assumed. Men are worth more than women. Men are, worth, are worthy of more respect than women. I mean, in cultures that had slavery, you could literally see this in financial terms because a slave trader could get considerably more money selling a man than he could a woman. A man could produce more. He was physically stronger and bigger. And even today, in many societies around the world, there are orphanages populated by children who were abandoned by their parents, left outside the hospital, left outside the orphanage itself, 
And the large majority of these abandoned children are females, little baby girls. And in countries where sex-selective abortions are possible, the large majority of unborn children whose lives are ended before they are born are females, little baby girls. So this is a radical claim in the ancient world. It's a radical claim today. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We are dignified supremely and we are dignified equally. But we have this tragic habit of distinguishing value of other humans based on any number of factors. This gender is more worthy than that gender. Rich people are more valuable than poor people. This ethnicity is more noble than that ethnicity. But the scriptures are clear from the very outset. Man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, born, unborn, young, old, sick, healthy, smart, not so smart, strong, weak. There is no distinction in our inherent value, our built-in value. We are supremely dignified over and against the rest of creation, but we are equally dignified between one another. Right now in our country's political situation, one side of the political aisle has their favorites and the other side of the political aisle has their favorites. The political left champions the human rights of women, immigrants, and ethnic minorities. The political right champions the human rights of the unborn. And there is a climate such that if we advocate for immigrants, well, then you must be a liberal. You must be an Obama Democrat. Or if you advocate for the unborn, well, then you must be right-wing. You must be a Trumpster. No, I am a Christian. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus. And his word states that God has made every human life, every human life, doesn't matter how developed the fetus is, doesn't matter what your skin color is, doesn't matter if you're born in Mexico or America, doesn't matter if you're male or female, doesn't matter if it's a baby boy or a baby girl. Every human life is a divine image bearer and deserves to be treated with the utmost dignity. Every human life deserves white glove treatment. We're dignified supremely. We're dignified equally. And finally, we're dignified vocationally. We're dignified vocationally. Now, vocation is not a word that we use super commonly, but what it relates to is that we, uh, what we more commonly call our occupation or our work. So essentially, our vocation is the opposite of a vacation. Vocation is a Latin word that emphasizes that our work is a calling our calling to use our talents and trainings and gifts in a productive way. And we don't always think of it this way, but work is remarkably dignifying. 
when we work, when we're useful, when we have purpose, then it's remarkably dignifying and it helps us feel a sense of self-worth. Well, here we see from the very start of our history, God calling the first humans to work. So let's look again at verse 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in verse 26, he says that humanity has dominion. Then in verse 28, he tells them to take dominion. So these verses are what theologians call the creation mandate. God is here mandating, calling humanity to take dominion over all of creation, to explore, to study, to develop, to invent, to innovate, to learn, to build, to cultivate, to, in short, work. And again, to have the opportunity to work like this speaks to our dignity. We have strength. We have abilities. We have ideas. And there are opportunities in God's world for us to apply our strength, to utilize our abilities, to fulfill our ideas. And having set things up this way, this shows God values us. And he gives us the dignity of work. I have this feeling often, but it especially hit me several months ago. We had our Christmas Eve service here, and I was the last one in the building, walking around, turning lights off, locking doors, closing everything down. And I remember coming upon me and rising within me just this great sense of joy and fulfillment. And there was probably many reasons I was feeling like that, but a big part of it was just this feeling of, yeah, we accomplished something. Me and my team, we worked. It all came together. We just had this great Christmas Eve service. We just finished a year worth of worship services, and it just felt like this crescendo of accomplishment. God called me to do this, and we did it. Now, we learn later that in Genesis chapter 3, sin has made our relationship with work complicated, Work is now difficult and often painful, so we don't get to constantly live in that space of joy and feeling fulfilled. Nevertheless, being called to work, having a purpose, advancing a cause, growing a business, providing for your family, it is still, it's dignifying, and it's built into creation. We are supremely dignified. We are equally dignified, and we are vocationally Dignified. God gives us the dignity of work. So what determines something's value? Well, very often, as we said, it relates to who made that something. Where it came from. You know, I don't care where my gas comes from. They can get it from Canada. They can get it from Texas. I just need some gas. Sometimes... Something's worth doesn't relate to where it came from, but in the case of humans, it does. Each of our lives, every human life, 
has been stitched together by the tender care of our wise creator. Every human life is a masterpiece worthy of admiration. As C.S. Lewis said in one of his essays, there are no ordinary humans. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every human life is of great value. Every human life is of eternal value. And we see this in how we were made with value within the story of creation. But amazingly, we learn most about human value not in the story of creation, but in the story of redemption. Yes, we see how valuable and worthy we are in the way God made us, but we see our value most clearly in the way that the Son of God redeemed us. So if you ever doubted the worth of a human, if you ever doubted your own worth, look to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave that he sacrificed his one and only son so that whoever, whoever, rich, poor, ugly, beautiful, male, female, put together, broken, from this place, from that place, whoever believes in the gift of the son shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. And it's because every one of us, no matter how broken our lives are because of sin, in God's eyes and through Christ, every one of us is a masterpiece. God is not just the God of creation. He is the God of restoration. If anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. God proved our infinite value, yes, in the way he made us, but mostly in the way he redeemed us through Christ. So church, let's worship our creator and our savior. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Heavenly Father, we together with our forefather David, we praise you. Wonderful are your works. Wonderful is the way that you have made every human life. We bless you, God, for your power, your wisdom, your creativity, informing us, growing us, developing us, filling our lives with beauty and purpose so that we could know you and live with you in intimacy as your sons, as your daughters. Father, we confess, though, that we do not always value human life 
the way you do. We make distinctions. We assign value based on any number of variables that you don't. Forgive us, Father. And may we see in every human, the youngest to the oldest, the most beautiful to the most broken, from this place, from the farthest away place, may we as a church value humanity the way you do. And Father, too, I pray for any of us who don't see our own value because of sin, because of shame, we're unable to see the beauty in our own lives because of the way you've made us. There's hatred of self. There's a desire to be somebody else. But God, I pray that you would help us to see the wonderful thing you've done in making each one of us and that we would praise you for the way you made our lives. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for creation. We thank you for our new creation. And we pray, Father, that you would be glorified as we continue to be formed more and more into him, his image. And we pray this in his name and continue to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.